Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Next, on the OHIO podcast, Eric and Chris react to the commitment of Ohio State's newest recruit and tight end Jelani Thurman. They predict which offensive records could be broken this season. They debate who should be on the Mount Rushmore of the 2000s. They rank the top 10 returning defensive backs in the Big Ten. And they continue their two-a-day previews in the Big Ten with Illinois and Purdue. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. Buckeye Podcast, by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, joined today by my co-host, the wild man himself, Chris Wilds. It's been a wet and rainy Sunday here in North Central Ohio. Chris, how has your Sunday gone today, my friend? Well, I'll tell you, Eric, it's been a pretty good Sunday overall. Like you said, wet, rainy. Hey, it gave me a great chance to get all caught up and polish off my notes just in time for us to get another big boom that <laughs> made me go and revise my notes. We, re- we really have to talk to these recruits, Eric, get them to make these announcements on our schedule. Right. Maybe give us a little bit of a heads up. Uh, but nonetheless, I'll tell you, Ohio State beat out Alabama and some other schools for the services of a really great tight end. Yeah, we're going to dive into that in just a minute. But first, let us thank our sponsor. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unranked matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most. Aspire, you'll train to be the best. Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, map, basketball, quarter, gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of, uh, take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. All right, guys, we uh, we kind of teased it last Sunday. I made a soft little announcement. Hey, our new T-shirts are in. If you want to get the Hang On Sloopy OHIO podcast white tee, now's the time to do it. You literally can go over to our Facebook page. 
facebook.com backslash the Ohio podcast right at the top of the page. It's pinned to the top. You will find a nice little advertisement for the hang on sloopy t-shirt. All you have to do is click on it. You can sit and then you can send me a message that says, Hey, I want one $20. We have all sizes from small all the way up to us big dudes, five XL on these t-shirts. Send me a message, say, hey, I want one. You can Venmo me and then uh, with $20 and free shipping, Chris. $20, the shirt will be on its way this week to you. And we're running a special deal. On this advertisement, Chris, you can see our other three T-shirts. We have the black How Firm Thy Friendship OHIO podcast T-shirt and the Scarlet Fever Red T-shirt that you can get as well. And you can get all three for just $40. That's right. $40 gets you all three t-shirts, no shipping, free shipping anywhere here in the continental uh, f- uh, states here, 48 states, uh, obviously Alaska and Hawaii. Sorry about your luck. And anybody who's listening from overseas, we do have some listeners from overseas. And uh, I know one who will be here for the Toledo game. And in that case, we will get you your t-shirt when you arrive so that we don't have to pay an arm and a leg for shipping to get, get it all the way over in Australia. But what I'm saying is, is if you live here in the United States, you do not have to pay for shipping. $20 will get you this t-shirt. 40 will get you three. You can get all three different styles or you can get three of the brand new hang on sloopy t-shirt. They're very classy. They are white with uh, scarlet and gray lettering that says Hang On Sloopy. The O in the on is the OHIO podcast logo, and you can support Ohio State wherever you go. And I promise you, uh, even if you wear them outside of the state of Ohio, when you're wearing this T-shirt, someone's going to yell OH at you. I guarantee it. Chris, your thoughts on these beautiful T-shirts before we dive into the new recruit? Yeah, Eric, I love them. And I'll tell you what, you and I both know as bigger guys, you're not going to find three good quality t-shirts anywhere for $40. No, this is just a great deal. Uh, you know, I highly encourage people, uh, you know, to grab these shirts. I get asked about mine all the time. Uh, I get asked, Hey, where did you get yours? Now I don't have one of the new, the new ones yet, but Eric, I'm getting, going to get mine as well. So I'll tell you really excited for these new ones. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way to, like you said, Promote your love of Ohio State football and, uh, you know, show us a little love at the same time. Promote us a little bit. So if you live in Pittsburgh, big news, we are going to be coming to Pittsburgh for a live show for the Wisconsin game. So that is the, uh, I guess they what they call it, the blackout game is what they're calling it. Yeah, that. that's so the blackout gonna, game. We're going to go blackout the bird, baby. We're going to go to Pittsburgh and have a live show there. And then also this week, we have been invited to Marietta, Ohio for the Michigan State game. So we will be heading down to Marietta, Ohio. We will have our T-shirts with us. There's going to be a great big party there uh, in Marietta. I believe it was at the Elks Lodge, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember that properly. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have lots of uh, great prizes when we're at these places. And, of course, we'll have our T-shirts as well. All right, Chris, another boom, my man. Tell me about our new tight end. Yeah, I'll tell you, this was a good one. Uh, Jelani Thurman. 6'5", 230-pound four-star tight end out of Langston Hughes High School in Fairburn, uh, Fairburn, Georgia. Thurman has a uh, 247 sports composite rating of 0.9405. He is the 135th ranked player in the nation for the 2023 recruiting cycle. 
He's the ninth best among tight ends. He's the 11th best player from Georgia. But, Eric, I'm telling you right now, I've watched this kid's video. I think he's better than that. I, you know, I guess I'm going to actually have to start showing Kevin Wilson a little more love, Eric, because he hit it out of the ballpark with this kid. I mean, Thurman had offers from Alabama, Auburn, uh, Michigan State, Clemson, that team up north, the, the U, LSU, Florida State. But he chose to be a Buckeye. And I really think we're all going to be thankful for that. The kid's a natural athlete. He's the son of a former NFL linebacker. His mother was a WNBA player. Uh, Thurman plays both football and basketball. And when he's on the football field, Eric, he actually plays both sides of the ball. He plays tight end and defensive end. Mm -hmm. Great size. He's tall, has a perfect frame to where he can add more muscle mass. Eric, those arms, those arms are so long. He just plays really long. Uh, creates a tremendous catch radius, makes it so, you know, he's got hot, strong hands. He high points the ball real well. I, I, just a couple plays on his uh, highlight reel that stood out. One of them, I remember, he was running a crossing pattern across the middle. The, the quarterback threw some way behind him. And he just stretches that big long arm back here, grabs the ball with one hand and pulls it in. Uh, another one, he was on the sideline. Had to extend up. He extended, high pointed the ball, came down, both feet inbounds, stretched out and made the catch. Great footwork, great body control, tremendous flexibility and agility. Uh, when he's blocking, uses the hands well. And while he does need a little bit of work on his blocking, Eric, I think he shows a lot of promise. He needs to be a little bit more crisp when he's breaking out of his routes. Mm-hmm. Um I think he kind of tends to round routes a little bit, but I'll tell you, I think that'll come with a little bit of coaching up. Uh, Eric, this kid has room for improvement, but his stock's on the rise, my man. And I think that this one is going to be a tremendous pickup for us. Yeah. So, so Jelani Thurman, uh, he's the second tight end in this class. Of course, Ty Lockwood who committed, gosh, that was like a year ago, I believe when he committed. And I believe they're both tight to uh, top 10, correct? They are both top 10 tight ends. They're both top 140 guys. So Ty Lockwood is ranked 133rd nationally, and Jelani Thurman is ranked 135th nationally. So they're right beside one. Both these guys are really, really good. Uh, My notes on Thurman, he's a tall, strong, athletic tight end who can be a threat in both the passing game and an asset in the run game with his blocking. I do like what I saw uh, from him as a blocker, and I do believe that that work at defensive end only is going to help him in his physicality in the run blocking department, Chris. Um, I believe he's going to be a real big problem for Big Ten defensive uh, linebackers because he is so athletic. And here's the thing. I'm watching his film. And I started having flashbacks of another tall basketball playing tight Ricky end Dudley, yes. named Ricky Dudley. I'm watching. And I'm like, I'm taking double takes here. I'm going, man, this guy looks just like Ricky Dudley. So yeah. much so, I went back and watched highlights of Ricky Dudley, and I went, yeah, it's exactly that. He's he reminds me of Ricky Dudley. I agree with you. He's gonna have to become more crisp in his routes. But hey, he's gonna have a pretty good wide receivers coach when it comes to his route running, uh, and Brian Hartline. And I and I'm like you. I think Wilson is great at, at at teaching how to block like an offensive lineman, especially for these tight ends. Uh, that's why when they leave here, they all go to the NFL, despite the fact they might not have a lot of receptions and touchdowns in Ohio State passing attack. They have the skills as run blockers that the NFL says we could use you. And so both of those assets as a tight end are very very. Bad 
valuable. And I'm glad that these young, um, top-rated tight end prospects realize the fact that it's not just about catching the football, but you have to learn how to be a blocker as well if you're going to be successful in the NFL. And it seems like with with Ryan Day's offense, with Ryan Hartline and Kevin Wilson both kind of going out there and teaching these skill sets to these young men, the smart, intelligent, uh, uh, top-level tight ends understand that and want to come be a part of the Ohio State football program, Chris. I think this is a big get, man. Yeah, I agree. And you know what's just as important as the fact that that we got and maybe the fact that we kept Hairball or Sparty from bringing this guy in there. Yeah, because he would have been a problem from us. And and whenever you can, whenever you can beat Georgia and Alabama for a prospect, that's that's huge. Uh, you know, when you mentioned it, this this kid shuns uh, Satan down there in Alabama. Uh, he wanted him. So it, you know, obviously Alabama is going to come off by saying, ah, he's he wasn't our first option. Uh, don't listen to that smoke. This kid, they would have accepted this kid today if he committed to him, to them. But he decided he wanted to be a Buckeye. And what's even bigger news than that is with this commitment, once again, we overtake the top spot from Notre Dame in the composite rankings. Uh, Notre Dame got another recruit this week. That sent them leapfrogging back over top of us. But with this commitment today, we are back at number one in the overall rankings in the number one class. Now we have, I believe, is it 19 guys in this class? Uh, Something like that? 18, I believe. 18. Okay, so I... I don't know, five, six more guys tops uh, maybe in this class. Yeah, I believe we have, what, uh, two five-stars, 14, four-stars, and two three-stars, if I'm not mistaken. So there you have it. I mean, this is this is looking like it's going to be a top-five class guaranteed, Chris. Um, oh, so, yeah, I have no doubt. Yeah, I, I, my only question is, can we hold off Notre Dame – and how how much higher does Georgia and Alabama get, especially if the SEC starts um, kind of taking away all that talent that used to congregate in Alabama? If it starts to get dispersed between Georgia, A&M, Alabama, Tennessee's a big player now with their NIL deals for recruits. If that starts to happen, maybe we can actually come away with the number one class, but we shall see. Well, I'll tell you, Eric. Georgia seems to be getting a bit of a little bit of that Michiganitis. They're having some trouble keeping those uh, top 15 players at home. Well, here's the thing about Georgia is Georgia's become a hotbed for recruiting. High school football in Georgia yeah. is phenomenal. Like I would say Georgia is you can line that baby up with Texas and Florida and say that's probably the third. I think they've overtaken California. If you look at the composite of where the the top level yes. four and five star high school players are coming from, Georgia is just filled with talent. Um, they really are feeding a lot of the South and the SEC with a lot of that talent, along with Florida and Texas. But my point being is they can't all go to Georgia. Um, if 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 it was Ohio State and Ohio State was in Georgia, you best believe that about 75 percent of our class would be from that state. But, you know, Ohio is not as rich right now in high school talent, especially this year, as compared to Georgia. It's just impossible for the Bulldogs to take them all, Chris. It really is. It is. And I'll tell you, Eric, you know, I, I, I got to love it because he may not have been directly related in the recruiting, but I still go back to uh, what was it, about a month, six weeks ago. Yeah. Walton said that the Georgia Corridor <laughs> is opening up. Yes. And I'll tell you what, he has not disappointed with that statement. 
This is true. That's true. Good good recollection on that, Chris. All right, let's do a let's play a little game here. This week I have I broke down some stats for everybody via a couple graphics that I thought were extremely interesting. Now, this information came from, I believe, it was either 11 Warriors or Bucknuts. I can't remember exactly who it was. I want to give them credit. But anywho, um, it is essentially the the records from a ru- running record, ru- rushing records, receiving records, and passing records – and which records they feel has a chance to be broken by Travion Henderson in the rushing records, uh, Jackson Smith, the Jigga, and the uh, receiving records, and, of course, uh, C.J. Stroud in the passing records. Which one would you like to start with first, Chris? I say let's start with C.J. Okay. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to run down each record and tell you who owns the record currently, and then I want you to tell me if you think – C.J. Stroud can break that record this year, okay? Okay. Let's start with the big one. Career passing yards, currently held by J.T. Barrett. He's got 9,434 yards. Now, last year, C.J. Stroud had a tremendous season. But in order to break this record, he has got to have a unbelievable record setting, the greatest season ever. 5,000 yards exactly is what he needs to break it. Oh, 5,000. Exactly. He now, he's, he's not going to throw for 5,000, Eric. I think you and I have, have talked about this a lot. I think there's going to be a new emphasis on the run game. I think he still goes between 4,000 and 4,200, but I don't see him getting that many yards this year. All right. So if he were to play all 15 games, meaning 12 regular season games, the Big Ten tournament or the Big Ten championship game, and then two college football playoff games, 5,000 divided by 15 is, let's see what that would come out to, 333.33 yards per game average. Yeah, and you know what? He has the ability to do it. I just don't think he's going to have the on-field time uh, or the touches to do it because I think we're going to see a more impactful run game this year. I believe he gets close. I, if we get all 15 games, yes, I believe he gets close. Now I'll tell you, when I was figuring out what I was, how I was going to respond to these after seeing you post these, uh, I kind of went on a 14 game uh, scenario, figuring us to win the Big Ten and at least get that first invitation. I did not include the 15th game. Okay, passing yards per uh, for one season. Dwayne Haskins owns it. From 2018, 4,831 yards. He would almost basically need that 5,000 yes. to break it. Um, so let's say let's say he does get 14 games. How many would it take to get 4,832 in 14 games? What would the average be? That would be 345.14 per game. Yes or no? Again, he has the ability, but I don't see him reaching it. I think he gets close, but not quite there. Passing attempts in one season, 533 again in 2018 by the late Dwayne Haskins. 533 is a lot. Yeah, and, and if you think back, you know a lot of that was, uh, what was it? He had 70 passes against, uh, was it Northwestern Purdue. that year? Or Purdue. Purdue, Purdue yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're not going to see CJ need to throw the ball that many times. I see him possibly going maybe 500 attempts on the season if we get in all uh, you know, if we get in 14 games uh, at most, and, and that I think is on the high end, 
I, I seem, com- yeah, well, I'm not going to go into the completions because we're going to be coming to that next. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see him making it. I think he gets close, but not quite there. All right, you mentioned it, passing completions in a season. Again, Dwayne Haskins owns that from the 2018 season with 373. Yes or no? I'm going to preface this with saying I think he's going to do – well, no, again, we're coming up on another record after that. So I don't think he quite gets there. I think he gets close. I don't okay. think he gets there. Now, here's rec- one record, actually two of them. I'm going to give these together because they're, they're combined. They're both his, yeah. That he owns, and that is completion percentage. Last season, he had a completion percentage of 71.9%, which was the best ever in Ohio State history. It also gives him the best career percentage. Now, all he has to do is maintain that, about 72%, and the record remains his, Chris. And, of course, you know, obviously, if he can just do one better, one percentage better, he'll break the season record. I think he gets this. I do, too. I look for him to go somewhere around 73% or so on the season, which is going to put him at about 72.4% on uh, the career. I think he holds both those records or breaks uh, breaks his own records. You know, I think – and one of the reasons why I think he does is because he is throwing, Chris, to people who are so stinking wide open that it's – it's yeah. a video game right now, man. Like it, it, uh, the receiving core that we have at Ohio State is so good that it, in a lot of ways it's making him look even better. Now, I'm not saying C.J. Stroud isn't as good as what you see here statistically, what we saw with our own eyes. Some of those passes he made in the Rose Bowl, Chris, those were his, baby. Yeah. He gets credit for those. That's He's putting the ball where no one else can get it. And, of course, he's just got the most talented wide receiver guys. You know, that one catch that uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba had in the corner of the end zone, the other one on the other side that uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. had, like over-the-shoulder stuff, that's top-level receiver kind of of things here. So uh, some of the credit's got to go there as well. Well, well, and I really think, too, you're going to see, like I said, I think you're going to see fewer attempts, and I think that's going to lead to a higher percentage of completions as well. Touchdown passes in the game. Now, this one has been – everybody's been flirting with breaking this one. Uh, J, uh, JT Barrett said it. Kenny Guyton tied it. Uh, actually, Kenny Guyton said it. Then JT Barrett tied it multiple times. Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, six touchdown passes in one game. Someone eventually is going to get seven. Can he do it this year? Can he do it? Yes. I don't believe he does it. I think – our run game is going to be much improved. I don't think we're going to see all the passing down by the uh, end zone that we saw last year. Um, once we get inside that that five yard line, uh, you know, I, I could see him possibly tying it, but I don't see him beating it this season. Again, these next two are kind of tied together. If he he's got to break this first one to even come close to the yeah. second one, touchdown passes in a season. Dwayne Haskins owns it with 50 back in 2018. I want to say CJ was very close last year. Do you have like 48? 45, 45. Okay. So he was five short, um, you know, get an extra game in here again. Maybe it's possible. Do you think he gets it? I kind of feel like this one's safe. I think this one's safe. Again, Eric, and like I said, I think it's because of the run game. Uh, I think we see him maybe go 42 to 45 again this season, uh, but I don't see him getting to the 50. All right, which means JT Barrett's 104 is probably going to be safe. But again, I mean, 
just the fact that C.J. Stroud might become close to this in two seasons compared to J.T. Barrett, who had four seasons to do this. Granted, now J.T. got hurt at the end of his freshman year and only played half of his sophomore year. Um, so, you know, I, I can't say it was four complete seasons for J.T. Barrett, but you know what I mean here. He just had a lot more games to get here than what C.J. Stroud's but, doing. But, but could yeah. you imagine a third season with Stroud? This record book would be out the window. Oh, it'd be, it'd be shattered. That would be shattered. Uh, passing yards per game, season career, C.J. Stroud owns this, man. 369.58 last year. So we're talking about, hey, he's going to need 345 or 350 per game to get there. If he just does what he did last year, He's going to break them because he averaged 369.58. I have a feeling that that record's safe. I don't think he's going to do that again. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think so because if you look back at some of those games, I think we needed him to throw that many times. We needed him to throw that many yards. I don't think we're going to need that as much. Again, I, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I think the running game has a lot more impact this year than it did last year. 300-yard passing games in a career. Dwayne Haskins, C.J. Stroud both have nine. He's obviously going to break that. He's going to break that, absolutely. And then 400-yard passing games in a career. Dwayne Haskins has five. I think he breaks that one, possibly. It's possible. Um, I don't know that we'll need him to, but I, I think it's possible. All right, so there are the passing records, Chris. Do you want to go with receiving or rushing next? Uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. Let's go over to rushing next. All right. So, Travion Henderson. Here we go. Rushing yards a game per game. It's so strange to see Trey Sermon's on here name on here because this this was Eddie's. This record was Eddie's for record so long. Yeah, but back in the Big Ten championship game in 2020, Trey Sermon broke it. 331 yards in one game. Uh, uh, Travion Henderson was coming close in that Tulsa game last year yeah. when he broke the all-time freshman record, Yeah, which was previously held by a two-time Heisman Trophy winner, by the way. So Travion Henderson, can he go 332 in a, in a game this year? Can he do it? Yes. Will he do it? I don't think so. However, I'm going to say this. Uh, I think the reason he doesn't do it, if he doesn't, is because we have – Mayan Williams, who's tremendous. We've got a Heisman candidate quarterback, and we know Ryan Day is going to get the passing in there. Uh, but I think Mayan's going to get a lot of carries. They're going to try to keep uh, Henderson healthy for that long stretch run. Uh, the other thing is, I will say, if it happens, I see one opportunity for it to really happen. Uh, we have Arkansas State coming into town the second week of the season, Eric. Last year, they ranked 130th against the run, Ouch. giving up 260.9 yards a game in the powerhouse Sunbelt Conference, Eric. <laughs> so let me tell you, I think that if it happens, that is where it happens. Very good. Very good. All right. Rushing yards in a season. J.K. Allday Dobbins back in 2019 had 2,003 yards. Is that record safe? I went back and forth on this one. Again, he has the ability to do it. However, I just don't know that we seem to get the touches because I think that Ryan Day, being the intelligent coach he is, is not going to keep him in there every down, every every play, you know, for every game. Now, Henderson had, what, 96 yards a game, I believe, as a freshman. 
that means he's going to have to improve like 50 yards a game. And, you know, that's a huge ask right now. I'm inclined to say no, but, you know, if you ask me this again mid-season, I may have a different answer depending on what we see out of what's supposed to be a very much improved offensive line. If it doesn't happen this year, I believe it'll happen next year. I do believe it happens his junior year. Yeah, because you'll have a brand-new quarterback who doesn't have nearly the amount of experience as C.J. Stroud, and you'll have a junior uh, at running back who will be a Heisman candidate from day one. Yeah. Rushing touchdowns per game, currently held by Pete Johnson and Keith Byers, who each had five in one game. I, I don't see I don't see him taking this down, and let me tell you why. I think when we get down there, I do think he'll get his fair share, but I also think you're going to see Mayan Williams get some of those uh, opportunities at the goal line. Rushing touchdowns in a season. Back in 1975, Pete Johnson had 25. Can Henderson get close to that one? Uh, you know what? He had 15 rushing touchdowns last season. I think he could get close. I don't think he eclipses that this season. I do believe that could be his record uh, in his junior year. Eddie George and Ezekiel Elliott each had a season where they had 12 games of 100 rushing yards or more. Can Henderson add his name to that list, possibly? I do believe he does add Mm. his name to that list. Okay. How about 200-yard rushing uh, yards per game? That That I don't see. That, again, Eddie George and Ezekiel Elliott had five of those. Yeah, I just – I don't see that, uh, the 200-yard games. Now, here's interesting. you got to be able to catch the football to do this. All-purpose yards per game – Keith Byers had 354 yards per game in 1984. This one is definitely safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This one's this one's not going to be touched. And then touchdowns per season. You know, we, we mentioned 25 by Pete Johnson in rushing touchdowns. That same season, he had a total of 26. He did have one receiving touchdown. This one, I think he breaks because Trayvon I Henderson agree. is a threat in the passing game. I agree. Last year, he had... Uh, what was it, uh, 19 total touchdowns, 15 rushing, four receiving. I do think that he can get to the 26 this year and beat that. All right, let's move to, uh, uh, let's just call it the JSN record uh, season. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw a um, pro football quote-unquote expert. Oh, don't even get me started on this, Eric. Uh, I'm going to. This was ridiculous. <laughs> Guy's an who, idiot. Who said... He doesn't understand why JSN, Jackson Smith, the jig was getting all the love that he's getting because he really only had one good game the whole season in the Rose Bowl. I'm like, did the dude, did the dude not watch any college football at all last year? The guy went out there and led a team in receptions and yardage that featured the number 10 and number 12 draft picks in the NFL draft who were both receivers. He led that team. But yeah, they they can't figure out why. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to find out why this year. So here we go. I mean, I'll, JSN owns most of these records already, man. But here we go. Receptions per game. Last year, he averaged 15 per game. Can he do better than that? Uh, he, He's not going to beat 15, uh, I don't think. I think 15 is going to stand. 
Um, I think he continues to hold that record, but I don't see him going over 15. These next two are kind of connected. He got 95 receptions last season. If he does 96 or better, will that obviously will he break that record? But then as as a career, will he reset the all-time career receptions record, which is currently held by K.J. Hill, who had 201 when he played from 2016 to 2019? So I broke this one down, Eric. Again, figuring a 14-game season, this doesn't even figure a championship game into it. He would need 6.86 catches a game to reach 100 catches for the season. I think he does it. Hmm. Say that again. How many would he need to average? 6.86. Per game? Per game. Oh, he's got that easy. I think so, too. He averaged 15 last year. No, he had the 15 was the single game. Oh, single game. Sorry. Yes, single game. What did he average last year? Uh, his average was... 7.3. 7 point something, yeah. Yeah, 7.3 because that's that comes later here. Sorry about that. He did not average 15. He had 15 in one game. Yes, which he was had 15 against the uh, – Yeah, it was the Rose Bowl, wasn't it? Rose no. Bowl and he had, what, 14 against Nebraska or something like Nebraska, that? Yeah, yeah, you got it. So, okay, so will there be a game where he just goes off again and maybe gets 16? I wouldn't doubt it. I think he maybe has one or two where he goes off. I Again, I don't think he gets to 16. Um but I do see him, you know, going off multiple games where he maybe gets in that 12 to 14 range again. Receiving yards in in a game again, the Rose Bowl. He had 347 yards in the Rose Bowl. Can he do 350 in one game? I, I kind of feel like 347 safe, Eric. <laughs> I do too. That's that's just sick. <laughs> that's yeah, they're they're gonna be all over this guy. He all right. Last season. Last season, again, what an idiotic statement this guy made. Last season, Jackson Smith and the Jigba had 1,606 yards. Does he really think he got all 1,606 in the Rose Bowl? I mean, it felt like it, but come on. Well, you know, I made the joke that he had a good season in the Rose Bowl, but you know what? He had a good season. He did. He did. There's. I don't think he gets 1,606 again. That's just That's crazy ridiculous. No, I'll tell you what, though. I do see him getting around 1,400. And that'll be enough to give him the 1,293 yards he needs to pass Michael Jenkins for that career mark. There you go. That's the next one. Receiving yards in a career. Michael Jenkins has 2,898 yards. And he, Chris, how many does he need again? 1,293. It's doable. I believe it's I. I believe it's a foregone conclusion. Barring and, and, and I'm crossing my fingers right now. Barring injury, that is a foregone conclusion. All right, average yards per catch. Now this one I this think is pretty safe. safe. Yeah, and I and I'll tell you why. Because Jackson Smith Majigba is not afraid to go in the slot. He plays the slot yeah. a lot, and so that means you're going to get a lot of short stuff, and then you're going to have to be you know creative after the catch. Devin Smith literally just lived on the deep ball, and so his average yards per catch back in 2014 was 28.2. I think that one's good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not going anywhere anytime soon. How about receptions per game? We mentioned it earlier, 7.3. I think that's probably safe as well. Yeah, I look for, you know, this one's one he could get to. I look for him to be somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half receptions a game. Now, the next one he also owns, he will break this this year. Because yes. this is taking into account the, the freshman season he had in 2020, which, you know, he had a few catches. But, I mean, this career receptions mark is really hurt. 
is hindered by his freshman year, and he yeah. still already owns the career record with an average of 5.25 per game. I think he definitely raises that baby up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Touchdown receptions per game. All right, here we go. Here's a slew of guys who have four. Dan uh, Sanzenbacher, Noah Brown, Terry Glenn, and Bob Grimes. Uh, way to get your name in there, Bob. <laughs> Can he get five and break the record? You know, it, it's going to be tough. He's going to have a lot of attention. And like I said, I think we're going to be rushing for a lot more touchdowns this season. But you know what, Eric? He is still the number one target. It's possible. You know who I think could break this record? Marvin Harrison Jr. Let me tell you why. I because think everybody's going to be paying attention to JSN. That, and he is one-on-one -on -one in the corner of the end zone. He, he will dominate your quarterback yeah. every time. Yeah. So there could be a game of when we get down close to the end zone where we just take a shot for Marvin Harrison every time. He'll come away with like six receptions on the game for 30 yards, but five touchdowns, you know, something crazy like that. I could see that. All right. Touchdown receptions in a season. Terry Glenn owns it with 17 back in the run heavy 90s in 1995. I, I think he beats this, Eric. Do you? I do. I mean, if you look at it, if we go 15 games, he's only got to get, you know, a couple extra over top of one a game. 100-yard games, seasons. I think this one's in jeopardy this year. I think he can get it. David Boston, he owns the record in 1998 with nine. Can yeah. we have 10 100-plus games from JSN this year? Oh, absolutely. I, I Again, I think as long as he stays healthy, I see this as a foregone conclusion. And 100-yard games in a career, that's also David Boston, who played from 96 to 98, 14. Where's JSN at, and can he get it? Uh, yeah, I think he gets it. I really do. Um, and, you know, I don't have the stat right in front of me for how many he's got today. But, uh, yeah, I think he definitely has the potential to get this. Yeah, I do as well. Let me look that up for us real fast here, see if I can find his career uh, 100-yard games. It, that would be tough to look up on stats-wise, actually, so I'm, I don't have the time to do that but, live. But I'll tell you but. what, Eric, I will say this. I think that by the time this season's over, he has rewritten the record books. I think he has 11 of the 13 records we talked about, and he will be the most prolific pass catcher in Ohio State history. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that one bit, actually. I, I really think that there's – Okay, I actually I found him right here. Okay, so 100-plus in a season and career. What did he do last year? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's got, he's got seven, so he would need eight. That's, I, that's a done deal, Eric. I think um, he gets it. Yeah, book it. Yeah, <laughs> book it, he said. There you go. All right, JSN is going to continue to rewrite the record books for Ohio State receivers. And, you know, it was crazy – we were, you know, I was talking about how much uh, Chris Olave is the, well, probably the greatest receiver in Ohio State history, at least my favorite one of all time. And literally, here we have the next guy writing the record books right behind him. And it's it's hard to it's hard to it is hard to forget about my love for uh, you know the sixth grade dance shirt here that is Olave. But JSN is doing it, man. He I, he yeah. to me, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call him right now. He's the record man. Yeah, statistically, without a doubt, I think he's going to be 
the greatest receiver in Ohio State history. But you know what's scary, Eric? His heart line just keeps pumping these guys out. I know. It's crazy. It's just one it's, right after the other. It's freakish. All right. So there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed our breakdown of the offensive records that we think could possibly fall this season in the 2020 season. All right, let's do this. Let's move on to Mount Rushmore. We've been working our way up decade by decade, Chris, from the 1940s, and now we've reached the 21st century, the 2000s. Boy, oh boy, this could have this could go many, many different ways. Chris and I have not talked about our list of who we have on our Mount Rushmore. Well, I think the there's two that we probably both have to have, probably a third. But that fourth spot, again, was awful tough for me. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I, I, I did debate the last two. I came to a very quick conclusion on the third one. Yeah. And the, again, the fourth one all week long, I thought about it. And I probably went against someone who, quite frankly, I don't know, might surprise you here, but we'll see. So le- I'll let you begin. Who's number one on the Mount Rushmore of the 2000s? Give me the first well, obvious. Well, come on, Eric. If you win a Heisman Trophy and you beat that team up north and possibly the greatest game ever played – I think you, you get there, and that's Troy Smith. You know, that 2006 season, Heisman Trophy, Chick Harley Award, Walter Camp Award, Davey O'Brien Award, Archie Griffin Award, Associated Press Player of the Year, Sporting News Player of the Year, Unanimous All-American, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. The guy just was amazing. He was lights out that season. Finishes his career 420 completions on 670 per, uh, attempts at 62.7%. 5,720 yards, 54 touchdowns versus only 13 interceptions. But let's not forget, he added 293 carries for 1,168 yards. That's a 4.0 uh, yards per carry average. Had 14 touchdowns on the ground. And a lot of people may not remember this, Eric, but in 2003, he returned some kicks for us. I did he, remember that. He returned five kicks for 83 yards. That's a 16.6 per uh, return average. So, yeah, I got Troy Smith in there, number one. I remember when he was recruited, he was not the top wide re- uh, quarterback recruit no. in that class. And then, of course, you know, a lot of people thought he was just going to be an athlete and then maybe be, you know, a wide receiver or H-back or something, maybe even a defensive back. But here he is, one of the greatest, if not. If not, he's got an argument of the greatest quarterback in Ohio State history. Um, you mentioned all the uh, awards. How about some of the records? You said he had 5,720 passing yards. That's good enough for eighth all time at Ohio State history. Yep. And that record used to be a lot higher until Ryan Day got here and started pumping out quarterbacks left and right. Uh, he's sixth all time in passing touchdowns with those 54 that you mentioned. He's sixth in single season in passing touchdowns with 30 in that magical 2006 season where he won the Heisman. He's sixth all-time in total purpose yards, given his rushing yards you mentioned, Chris, at 6,888. And he's sixth all-time in total touchdowns with 68 as well because he does he does add some of those rushing TDs in there. And he's tied for eighth in single season total touchdowns with 31 in 2006. So if you remember, he used to be much more of a prolific runner. And then in 2006, he became, you know, much more of a pocket passer to work on that, you know, staying in the pocket and hitting that second or third receiver. So he didn't rush the football as much, but he did have one rushing touchdown in 2006. Troy Smith, easily the goat on the 2000s uh, Mount Rushmore. All right. My next guy, he's one of my all-time favorites at linebacker, man. He's the Hawk, AJ Hawk. 
he's got to be on there, dude. Let me give you his college stats. He's a two-time Fiesta Bowl MVP in 2004 and in 2006. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, suck it. He's a two-time unanimous All-American, 2004 and 2005. He's the Lombardi Award winner in 2005, the Jack Lambert Trophy Award winner in 2005, and was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 2005. And then when he went to the NFL, he had a pretty good NFL career as well. He was the PFWA All-Rookie Team in 2006, and he won a Super Bowl, that being Super Bowl number 45, was it? Is that what it was? Yes. I think something like that. So yeah. So there you have it. So AJ Hawks on mine. Is that is that the other obvious one you were talking that about? That was the other obvious one for me. Yeah. Like you said, Fiesta Bowl, two-time Fiesta Bowl MVP, two-time unanimous All-American, uh, Lombardi Award, Jack Lambert Trophy, Defensive Player of the Year, number five overall pick. Yeah, I thought that was pretty easy for me as well. All right, who's so, number three? Eric, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you think of the best stiff arm you've ever seen, who is it? The best stiff arm I've ever seen. Yes. When you think of runners stiff arm in somebody, who's the best you've ever seen? It's It's got to be for Ohio State or in general? For Ohio State. Z, well, Zeke had a good one, but. Oh, come on. I, th- I think there's one definitely better. For Beanie me, it was Wells. Beanie. Wells. Beanie. Okay. Yeah, Beanie Wells. You know, you knew this kid was going to be special starting in his first season when all he did was, you know, come out and bust off a 52-yard touchdown run against that team up north. Yeah, we seem to have this habit of guys breaking out against those guys, don't we? Mhm. Uh yeah, just he had an amazing burst, an imposing stiff arm. In 2007, he went for over 1,600 yards, got himself an All-American, uh, named an All-American. He was also uh, 2006 All-American Bowl MVP. He was the first team All-Big Ten 2007, second team All-American in 2007. Wells finished his career with 585 yard uh, carries for 3,382 yards. That's a 5.8 yard per carry average, 30 touchdowns in three seasons. And you know what's scary, Eric, is this guy could have been so much more prolific if he wasn't hampered by injury. So I had him in at number three. Yeah. Okay. No, I did not. Here's I who got I had. A, it. I know where you may have went. Did you go to a receiver here, Eric? No, I didn't. Oh, really? Okay. I went back to linebacker. Okay. Went, you went to the little animal, didn't you? I did. I, I, I went with James Laurinaitis. Now, here, let me explain why. And, and there's, okay. there's something here you you have to highlight and underline that, to me, me says screams he has to be on here. OK, so he was the Lot Trophy Award winner in 2008, the Buckus Award winner in 2007, the Bronco Nagurski Trophy Award winner in 2006. Those are three different trophies in three different years. Right. Correct. Jack Lambert, two-time Jack Lambert Trophy Award winner, 2007 and 8, was a two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, 2007-2008, a three-time first-team All-Big Ten in 2006 through 2008, and here you go, the only guy on this list who was a three-time consensus All-American from 2006 to 2008 He's seventh all-time in Ohio State in tackles with 375, just two behind the guy we just mentioned in A.J. Hawk. I am going to make the argument 
that James Laurinaitis has to be on the Mount Rushmore of the 2000s simply because name me one other guy from that decade who was a three-time unanimous All-American. I can name you one that's a three-time All-American. I don't know if he was unanimous, though. So, All right, uh, who's that? Well, that's actually the guy I put in at number four. Okay. And that's Mike Doss. Ooh. Now, here's something crazy about that. I didn't know that he was unanimous. Actually, I just I just read my notes. It's the first, first team All-American three times. I have him as my fourth as well. Okay, that, so that means Doss automatically leapfrogs Laurinaitis and Beanie and we, Wells. So I'm going to go ahead and run through Doss, then we may have to have a discussion. Yes, we do. Okay, so Doss finished his career 331 tackles, eight interceptions, six sacks, four defensive touchdowns in 40 games played. And Eric, not only that, but he made a key interception in that game against Miami versus Ken Dorsey. Uh, and helping secure the national championship. He is a Jack Tatum Trophy Award winner in 2002, Fiesta Bowl MVP 2002, Big Ten Co-Defensive Player of the Year in 2002, three-time first-team All-Big Ten in 2000, 2001, and 2002, three-time first-team All-American in 2000, 2001, 2002. Of course, the BCS National Championship in 2002, and he was a Super Bowl champion with the Indianapolis Colts as well uh yeah just a tremendous guy drafted of course number 58 in the second round to the colts yeah we've both got him at four that means he actually slides up to three eric it does so so we have troy smith aj hawk and mike and mike doss and And you know what i'm gonna make this easy for you because i had batted around laurenitis originally and he was one i was debating on and since, you know, I'd put Beanie on there, just he edged Laurinaitis. I'm going to go ahead and give you Laurinaitis on that one. I think you convinced me the three-time All-American, I think, is the uh, is definitely the uh, piece that uh, does it for him. Well, thank you very much. I will take that and call that a win. And so that means Troy Smith, A.J. Hawk, Mike Doss, and James Laurinaitis. Not a bad is- way to start a team. Is no, not at all. And I tell you what, I I did I did feel for Beanie Wells. He was one of them that was on there. Um, there was a there was a slew of other guys like how, Ted Ginn Jr. Man, yes, Ted Ginn Jr. <sighs> uh, we had Beanie Wells, Michael uh, Jenkins. Let's not forget. Let's not forget Chris Gamble, Mister Everything. Yeah. Uh, you know what about Will Smith? Right. You know the yep. late great Will Smith, and of course Santonio Holmes. When did Cameron Hayward play? Was he late 2000s, too? He was later 2000s, yeah. Uh, that's another one, too, though. He dominated the middle of that. And, he, and he's still having a he great NFL He graduated, I think, in 2010 or 2011, I thought. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Anywho, that we got one more decade left, Chris, that we're going to go through here. And uh, that would be the 2010s. And this is basically Urban's era. And I tell you right off the bat, I've got at least two or three guys right away. That, that need to be on there. So be very interesting when we jump into that fourth spot again, if we have a disagreement like we did this week, but we may have a whole bunch of disagreements. In the next one, Mark. <laughs> and we might, we might not. We'll have to see. All right, man. We've been doing our previews. We've been going position by position in the big 10 and 
We've got one more position group, Chris, that we need to have a little bit of a ranking debate on. And before we take our commercial break and come back with our Big Ten two-a-day previews, this is a big show, everybody. So uh, I know you're probably looking at this thing and thinking, how in the world can these guys keep talking? Well, that's because we did the uh, the team previews separately. But let's go ahead and rank our top ten returning defensive backs in the Big Ten for this season, Chris. How about it? I'll let you start with number 10. We'll work our way back up to number one. At number 10, I have Tyler Newman, defensive back from Minnesota. Newman had three interceptions and three pass breakups last year. He had a 72.7 coverage grade, good enough for number 14 in the Big Ten. Of 26 catchable passes thrown at Newman's direction, the receivers he was defending only caught eight or roughly about 30% of those passes. He finished the season 49 tackles, three interceptions, two passes defended in a sack. I think the seniors got a lot of upside and should be an impact player this season. I got him slightly uh, a little higher than you. That does no, you know, that's good, but I'm glad he's, he's both on our list here. Number 10 for me, and I'm interested to see if you got this guy. That's the cornerback fifth year senior from Iowa, Riley Moss. Last year, he had 39 tackles, a fumble recovery, four interceptions, uh, two of which were touchdowns and five pass deflections. Uh, Riley Moss from Iowa, I think, is on this top 10, but just barely for me. I See, I've actually got him quite a bit higher. Really? Yeah. Uh, number nine for me, Eric, I've got DJ Turner, cornerback from that team up north. Turner's coming off a junior season that saw him get hot really late in the year. He had a career performance against Ohio State, eight tackles, two passes defended. Uh, this came one week after his second interception of the season that he took 42 yards to the house versus Minnesota. Finished the season, 30, or 33 tackles, two interceptions, four passes defended, a defensive touchdown. Uh, he's going to face a lot of high-powered offenses this year with Ohio State, Maryland, uh, I think improving uh, passing games at Penn State and Nebraska. So he's going to have the opportunity to improve those numbers. Uh, and I really think that he's going to have a good season this season. Uh, I got him slightly ahead of uh, number nine. You'll hear about that in just a second. But number nine for me, how about Tanner McAllister for the Buckeyes? He comes over from the other OSU, that being Oklahoma State, following his defensive coordinator. And I think he's going to be the experienced guy on this defensive staff who's played in this system before, who's going to kind of be that mouthpiece for us on the defensive backside that basically gets everybody in the right place. Um, he's a fifth-year senior. He had 42 tackles, an interception, and six pass deflections last year for the Cowboys. Number nine for me, Tanner McAllister. Yeah, I've actually got him in at number eight. I'm not going to regurgitate this, the info you threw out there, but uh, – I've got him in at number eight. All right, number eight for me. Again, it's someone you just had at number nine. So we kind of flip-flopped eight and nine here. I had DJ Turner, the junior quarterback from Michigan, uh, 33 tackles, two INTs, a uh, touchdown, and seven pass deflections last year. Uh, DJ Turner for the, the, uh, the team up north, number eight. How about number seven, Chris? Uh, number seven for me, I've got Taiwan Mall and the cornerback from Indiana. Uh, Mullen only made four starts last season due to injury. He had 19 tackles, three pass breakups, and 227 snaps played. But I'll tell you what, Eric, if you go back to 2020, Mullen saw 429 snaps, made 22 tackles. He had four sacks and three picks, 
a really tremendous uh, impact player and somebody who I think is going to be a force and possibly the only force on that Indiana defense. Yeah, I left him off because it was Indiana. <laughs> I just, I think Indiana is going to take a giant leap backwards this year. Now, that just I, means he's going to be on the field a lot more to pad those stats. <laughs> that's true. That is I I like I think offensively Indiana is going to be inept. Like I just I just I mean I've been going through these things. I know they had that magical 2020 season and last year wasn't nearly as good. I think they take even a bigger step back in 2022. I don't know that Indy I think Indiana might be the worst team in the in the East. Yeah, I don't disagree. Okay. Uh, all right. So number seven for me was Tyler Newbin. You just uh, mentioned him as number 10 on your list, the safety from Minnesota. I think he's uh, probably the best, if not the one of uh, one of the best, if not the best defensive player uh, on, uh, on the Gophers uh, staff there. So Tyler Newbin, number seven. Number six, Chris. Work at number six. You can call me a homer if you want. But I got Cam Brown in here. Brown, 20 tackles and an interception, six pass breakups last season, held quarterbacks to a 44.9 rating in coverage. You know, along with Denzel Burke, this tandem was targeted 20 times on passes of 20 yards or more. They only gave up four catches between them. Burke gave up one, Brown three. They gave up zero touchdowns of 20 yards or more. So I wasn't a homer with Cam Brown, but let me explain why, Chris. The guy has been injury prone his career, yeah, and that scares me uh, this this season. I'm not going to lie. So there are two very, very talented, highly recruited defensive backs that are on our roster who I kept off this list. Cam Brown was one of them, and of course you can probably guess the other. So I, I right now I just I'm kind of hands off here with Cam Brown. I I. I had him at 10th for a while, but I ended up going with Riley Moss. And and based off of the fact that he's in your top five, I think that's probably a good choice there. So number six for me was actually Avery Young, uh, the senior safety from Rutgers, finished with 60 tackles, two sacks, a one forced fumble, an interception, one pass deflection last season, and is probably one of, again, if not the best defensive player uh, for Shiano there in New Jersey. I'm going to use your it's Indiana defense for it's Rutgers. <laughs> good. Good on you. Well played. Well played, sir. Well played. All right. So I actually have Riley Moss in there at number five. Uh, great junior season for Moss last year. First team, all big 10 won the Tatum Woodson award for the best cornerback in the, in the big 10, uh, 80.4% pass rush grade, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous cover corner as well. So I've got him, him in there at number five. All right, good deal. Number five for me, let's go over to Happy Valley and talk about Joey Porter Jr., sophomore quarter uh, cornerback for the Nittany Lions last year at 51 tackles, uh, forced fumble, an interception, and four pass deflections, and he's got a great uh, heritage name there. I think Joey Porter Jr. is the man, dude. Uh, yeah, I do too. And that's why I've got him up just a hair higher than that, Eric. Uh, I'll tell you, but I'm going to go with happy Valley here as well. I'm going to talk about a little bit of a Jair Brown. Gotcha. Uh, Brown had a great junior year, 73 tackles, six interceptions, five passes, uh, defended 
forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, and a defensive touchdown. I'll tell you, they've got a nice one-two punch in that backfield, defensive yes. backfield. Yes, they do. I've got him a little higher than I do Porter, but I understand why you might want to flip the flip-flop those. Um, how about number four for me, Xavier Henderson, the super, uh, super senior from Michigan State. Listen to these stats. 96 tackles, three sacks, a forced fumble, an INT, and two pass deflections. That's, uh, that's patent stats right there up there in uh, East Lansing. It is. It is. And you know what? I I don't even know how I missed him, Eric. I well, don't even know, but I the, did. Well, you missed him. That means he must not be as good as I think he is then. Because Those were all good stats. No, Those I, are good stats. So I don't know. I mean, you know, it happens, dude. Sometimes we overlook people, especially when you're looking at cornerbacks and safeties together. Yeah. It's, e- it's easy to overlook one or the other when you're really concentrating on that. And we really probably could have broken these back. Uh, into separate categories, but I just threw them all as DBs and said, let's put them together. So Xavier Henderson for me, but I understand why you didn't have him in there. It's easy to overlook sometimes. Well, I'll tell you what, if we're talking number three, let's talk us a little bit of rocket man, Eric. How about Ronnie Hickman? 98 tackles last season, ranking him first in the big 10, second in the power five. Had he added to his stat line with a sack, a forced fumble, two interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown. I'll tell you, he was all over the place for Ohio State last year. Hickman only missed 11% of his tackle opportunities, Eric, and he only allowed two touchdown receptions on the season. I've got him in at number three. Number three for me, let's stay, uh, let's stay in Columbus. Let's talk Denzel Burke. The sophomore cornerback had 37 tackles, an interception, a touchdown, pass de- 12 pass deflections, and was a lockdown corner from day number one. I think he's the best cornerback in the Big Ten. That includes Joey Porter Jr. I, under- I understand you're probably going to have a little disagreement with me on that one here. But I think Denzel Burke is the best and has tremendous upside and will be a first-round draft pick in the 2024. Four NFL draft will be because he's only a sophomore this year. Well, Eric, I'm going to reveal my picks to you basically in one shot by saying I don't disagree with you. So that might tell you where I'm going next. Number two, I've got Joey Porter. Uh, fresh off that 2021 season, 51 tackles, a forced fumble, four pass breakups, and an interception. He was a third team All Big Ten pick last season. Uh, you know what? He's among the best tackling defensive backs in college football. Good in coverage. I really like this kid. I think he's a day one draft pick. Yes, indeed. Here's where I have at number two, the other Penn State defensive back in Jair Brown, the free safety. 73 tackles, a forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, six interceptions, one touchdown, five pass deflections. I went with him over Joey Porter Jr. because I think his stats are a little better. However, I understand your argument because Jair Brown got thrown at more than Joey Porter Jr. did, which is why he had more opportunities to get more of those stats. So I understand why you did that, Chris, but I went with Jair Brown number two. Okay. I'm going to take a stab here. I may have mentioned your number one just previously here, Uh, but my number one, of course, is Denzel Burke. Uh, I do think he is the best corner in the Big Ten. 
Uh, you know, he received an honorable, uh, he was third team all Big Ten, received honorable mention award from the conference media. Uh, freshman season, he had 31 tackles, nine pass breakups, and an interception. He is, like you said, Eric, a lockdown corner, uh, by far the best corner, I think, in the conference. And I think the best safety also resides in Columbus, and that is yep. Ronnie the Rocket Hickman. Um, 98 tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, two interceptions, and a touchdown. And let me tell you why I have him at number one, Chris. I believe in this defense that we're going to see, this Jim Knowles defense. It is safety-driven. He's got the best safety in college football, in my opinion. I think Ronnie the Rocket Hickman is going to shoot up the NFL draft boards and be a first-round draft pick this season because people are going to see that not only is he a sure tackler, like you mentioned, but he is a ball hawk. He's going to create fumbles. He's going to get interceptions. He is going to lead this Buckeye defense this season, in my opinion. Ronnie the Rocket Hickman's number one in my book. Hey, I can't argue with you. Like I said, I had him in my top three. Uh, I, I I love the kid. He's a tremendous talent, and I agree with you. I think he is a day one draft pick. I yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's we're gonna see. I mean, Denzel Burke will be as well, but that'll be in two years. Ronnie the Rocket Hickman's gonna have his chance this year. Correct. I think I think out of all the defensive positions we've talked about. In the Big Ten, the defensive line, the linebackers, and the defensive backs. I think by far the defensive line is the weakest. I think there are some pretty decent second-day linebackers in the Big Ten, maybe one or two that's a first-round draft pick, but probably not. Maybe one, you know. Maybe if I, Zach Harrison gets off his backside and actually does something this year. Just, uh, just throwing uh, it out there. Okay. I think by far – the defensive backs in the Big Ten are the best position group in the Big Ten this season, in my opinion. I think it's head and shoulders above the other position groups. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the the defense, I'll tell you what. We had such an issue with our defensive backs the last couple of years, Eric, previous to this. It's, I, I think we truly have the best defensive backfield in the Big Ten right now. I agree. And if and with the coach that we have, with the safety-driven defense he has, there's no reason why we shouldn't, from day one, be a much better defense. Now, I'm not saying from day one we're going to be a championship-level defense, but we should be a much better defense with this talent in the defensive backfield if they can stay healthy, Chris. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, we definitely need to stay healthy, but at the same time, I've got more confidence in that depth we've got back there as well now. I do as well. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have our Purdue and Illinois previews. So make sure you uh, hang with us, and then uh, you'll get much be a much smarter fan. And if you're better, we'll give you the information you need to place some intelligent bets heading into the 2022 season. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHIO podcast. All right. First up is the Illinois preview. So sit back and enjoy this. 
Hello, everybody. This is Chris Wilds from the OHIO Podcast. And today we are previewing the Fighting Illini of Illinois. Last season, Brett Bielma returned to the Big Ten as head coach of the Fighting Illini after a five-year stint in the SEC with Arkansas. And he brought with him new hope to a long-suffering fan base at Illinois. This season was highlighted by a pair of wins over ranked opponents, a 20-18 nine-overtime thriller versus then number seven Penn State on the road, and a 14-6 win over the number 20 Golden Gophers at home. Four of the losses on the season last year came by one score or less, and Brett Bielema surprisingly had this team only one win shy of bowl eligibility in his first season. Following the season, Brett Bielema fired offensive coordinator Tony Peterson. Under Peterson, the Illini ranked 115th in total offense out of 130 teams. He brought in Barry Lunny Jr. to head up the offense. Lunny was the offensive coordinator at UT San Antonio, and had the Roadrunners offense firing on all cylinders and finishing up the season as the 34th best offense in the nation. Bielema's arrival has also marked an improvement in Illinois recruiting. His incoming class is the 46th ranked class nationally and is their best class since 2011. His 2023 class currently sits at 41 and has 15 commits. So the question this season is, can Bielema get this team over the top with a winning record and a full appearance in only his second season at the home. The University of Illinois football team plays their home games at Zipke Field in Memorial Stadium in Champaign, Illinois. The stadium seats 60,670 fans. Illinois has an overall record of 609 wins, 612 losses, and 49 ties. That is a winning percentage of 49.9%. Illinois football lays claim to 15 conference championships, the last one coming in 2001, when the team went 10-2, with their only losses coming to number 17 Michigan and to number 7 LSU in the Sugar Bowl. Head coach Brett Bielema begins his second season with the Illini final, following a 5-7 inaugural campaign in 2021. In his 13 years as a head coach, 7 with Wisconsin, with Arkansas and then last year with Illinois. Bielema has an overall record of 102 and 65 for a winning percentage of 611. And he has an overall bowl record of 4 and 5. Last season, Illinois finished the year 5 and 7, fifth in the Big Ten West, with a winning percentage of 417. They finished 4 and 5 in the Big Ten Conference. That's a winning percentage of 444. Last year, the offense scored an average of 20.2 points per game. That was good enough for 11th in the conference. They ran for 173.6 rushing yards per game. That was good for 7th. They had 156.2 yards passing per game, which was dead last in the conference. They did average 329.8 yards per game, which was good enough for 10th in the big team. Defensively, they had a fairly stingy defense, allowing 21.9 points per game. That was good for sixth in the conference. They averaged giving up 150.3 rushing yards per game, which was good enough for ninth. 215.2 passing yards per game. That was seventh in the conference. Overall, they averaged giving up 365.5 yards per game, which was the sixth best in the Big Ten. 
Illinois has an overall bowl record of 8-11. That's good enough for a 421 win percentage. Their last bowl appearance came in 2019 in the Red Box Bowl, where the Illini fell to the Cal Bears by the score of 35-20. Now Illinois does lay claim to five national championships, 1914, 1919, 1923, and 1927. Their last national championship came in 1951. There were three big losses for the Illinois Fighting Illini this past season. Safety Kirby Joseph went to the Lions in the third round of the NFL draft. With him went 57 tackles, a tackle for loss, one sack, five interceptions, and six passes defensed, as well as two fumble recoveries. Senior Tony Adams also left a lot to compensate for as far as production goes. He had 63 tackles, 3.5 tackles for loss, a sack, an interception, and five passes broken up on the season. Adams was an undrafted free agent, and he signed with the New York Jets. Tight end Daniel Barker left the team via the transfer portal. Barker was the team's third leading receiver with 18 catches for 202 yards and four touchdowns. Over his three seasons at Illinois, he did average 18.3 catches, 247.7 yards, and 3.7 touchdowns. Not only did he transfer out, but he transferred to Michigan State, who does come into Champaign on November the 5th. Illinois does have some key returning players as well. Now it would seem pertinent to put a quarterback in here, either transfer Tommy DeVito or returning quarterback Arthur Sikowski. But honestly, all either has to do is find a way to get the ball into the hands of dynamic wideout Isaiah Williams. Williams in his first year as a receiver, had 47 receptions, 525 yards, and four receiving touchdowns. He also added 61 yards and two scores on the ground as well. He should see an increased role this year in new offensive coordinator Barry Lenny Jr.'s offensive scheme. Chase Brown, the running back, is coming off a season in which he earned all Big Big Ten third-team honors. He rushed for 1,005 yards and five touchdowns. He was third in the Big Ten in yards per game with 100.5 yards. He was fifth in the Big Ten and 27th in the nation with 5.9 yards per carry. And he was seventh in the conference in rushing yards with 1,005 yards. If this team is gonna have a bowl caliber season, it's gonna come on the strength of a tough defense and a strong red game. And speaking of tough defense, let's talk about safety Sidney Brown. Brown last season had 83 tackles, the second most in his career, 1.5 tackles per loss, a sack, three passes defended, and four forced fumbles. According to Pro Football Focus, he had his best career uh, grade last season with a 65.3% grade. With Joseph Joseph and Adams both departing for the NFL, it's going to be up to Brown to anchor the back of this defensive backfield for the Illini. I do have a few incoming recruits who could make an impact as true freshmen. While Luke Ford and Tip Ryman are the favorites to start at tight end, don't sleep on true freshman Owen Anderson. Anderson is 6'4", 235 pounds. He's a three-star tight end from the state of New Jersey. He did enroll early, but was limited by an undisclosed injury in the spring. He definitely has a chance to work himself into shape and could be in the mix. He's a threat in the passing game, which could be an interesting added tool for Lenny to deploy from time to time. 
And speaking of that passing game, Sean Miller, wide receiver out of IMG Academy in Florida. He's a three-star, 6'1", 190-pound receiver. Miller has good top-end speed, but also has the toughness to run crossing routes over the middle. He has a good short burst and is tough to bring down after a catch. Given Illinois' lack of experience depth at wide receiver, Miller could definitely be in the mix here. And then there's Elijah McCantos. The cornerback, six foot, 170 pounds, out of Edison High School in Miami, Florida. He is a three-star corner, but what is, is key here is that aside from Devin Witherspoon, Illinois is not deep in talent at the corner position. If McCantos plays up to his potential, he has all the tools and could possibly see time as the second or third corner in the rotation. The following statements pertain to the Illinois season. This season is going to be a, considered a success for the Illini if, well, that's if Brett Bielema gets this team to a winning record and they make a bowl appearance this year. The most crucial game on the schedule? I see that coming November 12th versus Purdue. Purdue has a pretty good offense, but defensively there's a lot of questions. I see the Illini coming in at 4-5 and five into that game, and they're going to need to beat Purdue for any chance at bowl eligibility because I just don't see them beating that team up more. As far as the threat level to Ohio State this season, that's zero. Ohio State does not face the Fighting Illini this year, and while this team has an outside chance at a bowl appearance, they're not going to Indianapolis. So there's really no chance that the Buckeyes are going to win anything this season. So how do we see Illinois' season shaking out? Well, they open the season August 27th at home against Wyoming. I've got that as a win for the Illini. September 2nd, Friday night, 7 p.m., they are in Bloomington, Indiana to face the Hoosiers. A few years ago, I see this as a much tougher game. After what we saw last year, I think Illinois has the horses to run with Indiana, and I think they go into Bloomington and get the win. On September 10th, week number three, Virginia comes calling. Virginia's lost a lot over this last year, and I see Illinois as having a, a good chance of winning this game. I've got it marked down as a W for the Illini. September 22nd, Chattanooga comes into Champaign. This is a win for Illinois. October 1st, Illinois has to go on the road and face Wisconsin in Madison. This is a win for the Badgers. October 8th, they go to face the Hawkeyes. This, again, not going to go well for Illinois. I see Iowa winning this one. October 15th, they are in Champaign to face Minnesota. I currently have this as a loss. However, they could pull an upset in this game, much as they did last season. October 29th, they go into Lincoln to face what I think is going to be a vastly improved Nebraska team. I have this as a loss for Illinois. November 5th, Michigan State comes to Champaign. This is going to be a victory for Sparty. November 12th, as I mentioned before, Purdue comes into Champaign. Lots of questions on what was a pretty average defense already last season. I have it as a win for Purdue right now based on their offense, but this could be one that the Illini could steal. November 19th, the Illini have to travel to Ann Arbor to face that team up north. I have this as a Michigan win. November 26th, they are on the road at Evanston, Illinois to play Northwestern. I think 
they do much of like they did last year and dismantle this very average Northwestern team. I have this as a win for Illinois. So as I see it, this team is going to start hot with four wins over lesser opponents. The schedulers roughed them up a little bit in this next stretch, and I believe they pay for it. I think they lose at least five, perhaps seven straight games as a result. However, for the second year in a row, this team takes down Northwestern. I honestly see this as another 5-7 and seven season. However, they will have an outside shot at bowl eligibility if something goes their way versus either Minnesota or Purdue. That's how I see the Illinois 2022 season. And there you have it. Thank you, Chris, for previewing the Fighting Illini. Let's go ahead and break down this schedule. Now, I understand that, uh, uh, you know, I think I think you did a good job. I think you did a good job here, Chris, of uh, giving us something to think about. I'll, I'll, I'll say that when it comes to the Illini. Now, I'm not – I don't think I'm as high as you are on them, but I'll give, I'll give Illini credit where credit is due. When they went out and got a new head coach who has experience in the Big Ten and, and good old Burt, I think they did themselves a favor, and I think that he's going to place Illinois in a position – to be much more successful than what Levy Smith ever did. So I, I understand the the little bit of the enthusiasm that is given to the Illini, but the question is, will they win more than their four and a half uh, uh, spread here is what they're get is what uh, the the number that Vegas is giving them on the season. Four and a half wins. Will they get more than four and a half? Will they get five or more or will they be four or less? Chris, you went over here. Yep, I went with five. Are you still confident in that? You know, Eric, I still feel pretty good about five. Uh, just because I think it's on the strength of that front four in the schedule where I truly believe that Virginia is the toughest one and Virginia lost a lot and defensively they are not a great team. I think they win those first four games. And I think that Northwestern is a bad team. So I, I think that those five games are the ones that they definitely can walk away with. Here are my five wins. Cause I also went with five. I think they win against Wyoming. I believe they beat Indiana. I believe they beat Chattanooga. I think they, I think they clip Northwestern at the end of the year. The one I struggled with was Virginia and the little studying I did on Virginia, given the fact this game's at home for them, I went ahead and gave Illinois the win. That gives me the push. They get five. So I think wow. So we went with the same teams. All right. We, we did. I it's right with you. Uh, Virginia's got me a little little weary here, but I think if you're gonna bet on Illinois, it's it's a risky bet. I do feel that way. But I'm gonna go ahead and say if if you got five bucks to put down on that five, feel free. You won't win a lot, but. You know, it's it, but you wouldn't lose a lot either. That one's kind of risky. So last year I was confident Illinois would be over. They were this year. I'm not as confident, but I feel like there might be an upset somewhere in there. If you recall last year, I believe they upset. Was it Nebraska in the week one? Penn State, uh, they upset Nebraska and then they got uh, they got Penn State, Penn too, State didn't they? and Minnesota. I don't think they can do that again, though. That was. <laughs> that was a lot of uh, a lot of mojo there. Maybe some first season lucks for old Bert. 
But yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I still think they might get over, but it's going to it's gonna be di- more difficult this year. All right, that's the Illinois preview. Thank you, Chris, for that. Let's go ahead now and jump on uh, the Purdue Boilermakers here. This is Eric Boggs from the OHIO Podcast, and today I'm previewing the Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue had a breakthrough season in 2021, winning nine games. Their 6-3 Big Ten record was only one game short of sending them to Indianapolis as the West Division representative. Head coach Jeff Brom and the Boilermakers didn't let that set them back, however, as they went on to win a shootout over Tennessee 48-45 in overtime in the Music City Bowl. Now the Purdue faithful are wondering how Brom can build on that surprise 2021 season. Quarterback Aiden O'Connell was returning for his senior season, but he will need to build some chemistry with an entirely new wide receivers unit. David Bell will be making catches in the NFL on Sundays, and top returning wideout Milton Wright is no longer with the program due to being academically ineligible. Can Brom and O'Connell strike up more offensive magic, or will the Boilermakers take a step back offensively? Defensively, the Boilermakers should be poised to take a step forward as over half of their starters and defensive output is returning in 2022. Ron English becomes the new play caller on on that side of the ball as former D.C. Brad Lambert departed for Wake Forest after just one season. English becomes the fourth defensive play caller in West Lafayette in as many seasons. Purdue is expected to compete for a West Division crown this season in what many believe to be a wide-open race. The Boilermakers play their home games in West Lafayette, Indiana, and ross Aid Stadium, which has a seating capacity of 57,282 screaming Boilermakers. Their overall school record is 626 wins to 575 losses with 48 ties. That's a winning percentage of 520. Their last conference championship, however, was in 2000. Yes, 22 seasons ago, and they have won 11 conference titles in total. Head coach Jeff Brom is entering his sixth season in West Lafayette and has an overall record for the Boilermakers of 28 and 29. However, his overall record as a head coach is 58 and 39, which included three years at Western Kentucky before becoming the head man for the Boilermakers. Last season, Purdue was 9-4 overall, 6-3 in the Big Ten. As far as the rankings are concerned for offensive defense last season, first let's begin with the offense where Purdue last year was 5th in the Big Ten in scoring, averaging 29.1 points per game. However, they were 14th, dead last in the Big Ten when it came to running the football, averaging only 84.2 yards per game. On the flip side, though, they were second in the Big Ten in passing, averaging 355.4 yards per game. Total offense, they were fifth in the Big Ten with 439.6 yards per game. On the other side of the ball, defensively, they were seventh in the Big Ten when it came to giving up points, averaging 22.4 points per game. They were also 12th against the run, averaging 157.9 yards against per game. Against the pass, they were 5th in the Big Ten, averaging 208.7 yards per game. And total defense, they were 8th in the Big Ten, averaging 366.6 yards per game against. 
Purdue claims zero national championships, but a bowl record of 11 and 9. Of course, as mentioned earlier, last season they were victorious over Tennessee in overtime and the Music City Bowl by a score of 48-45. to Key losses from last year's team include wide receiver David Bell, who was the 2021 Big Ten Receiver of the Year, finishing last season with 1,286 yards and six touchdowns. Bell was drafted in the third round by Chris's Cleveland Browns. The Greek-born defensive end George Karlaftis had a 2021 season that included 11.5 tackles for loss and five sacks. He left West Lafayette a year early and was drafted at the end of the first round by the Kansas City Chiefs. Despite not being a good rushing team, Purdue could trust the sure hands and the tough, hard-nosed running of running back Xander Horvath. Horvath was selected in the seventh round by the Los Angeles Chargers. Your top returning Boilermakers for the 2022 season include quarterback Aiden O'Connell, who returns for his senior season after passing for 3,712 yards and 28 touchdowns in 2021, earning him second-team All-Big Ten honors. His main target, senior tight end Payne Durham, returns as well for his final season in West Lafayette. The big target led the Big Ten in touchdown receptions as a tight end last season with six and is considered a future NFL prospect at the tight end position. One of the best linebackers in the Big Ten also returns for his senior year in Jalen Graham. He will anchor the Boilermaker defense after finishing his 2021 campaign with 64 tackles, four for loss, a sack, and two interceptions. One of the top new Boilermakers in 2022 will be transfer Tyrone Tracy. A wide receiver transfer from Iowa will be expected to pick up the slack in the passing game without Bell or Wright no longer on the team. Tracy wasn't being utilized right in Iowa and is expected to thrive in the Jeff Brom receiver-friendly passing attack. A pair of four-star defensive linemen joined the team as true freshmen. Nick Carraway, a 6'3", 258-pound four-star defensive end from Bryan, Texas, who was ranked 270th, 207th nationally, 27th at his position, and 33rd from the state of Texas, will be joining the Boilermakers and is expected to make an impact right away, along with fellow defensive lineman Joe Strickland, who is 6'4", 250 pounds, and is coming from Indianapolis, Indiana. He was ranked 265th nationally and 34th at his position and 8th from the state of Indiana. Let us finish the following statements for you. This season will be considered a success for Purdue if they win the Big Ten West Division. It is time for Jeff Brom to put up or shut up, and after the success he had in 2021, the Boilermakers are poised to win the West in 2022. The most critical game on the Boilermakers' schedule is October 1st at Minneapolis against the Gophers, and October 22nd, also on the road as the Boilermakers travel to Madison to take on the Badgers of Wisconsin. These two road games could very well determine whether or not Dew will go to Indianapolis or will they remain in West Lafayette to watch the Big Ten Championship game again. Purdue's threat level to Ohio State is 15%. If they win the West and face Ohio State in Indianapolis, their offense could be a challenge for the Buckeyes' defense. 
But as we saw last season in 2021, Ohio State is still head and shoulders above the Boilermakers when it comes to overall talent. My predictions for the Boilermakers in 2022 are as such. I believe they begin the season with a home win upset over Penn State. This is followed by wins against Indiana State on the road at Syracuse and home against Florida Atlantic uh, to finish off their non-conference, giving them a 4-0 record before traveling to that big game on October 1st against Minnesota in Minneapolis. I'm going to go with a loss here for the Boilermakers. I believe they follow that up with a second loss in a row as they travel to Maryland before coming home and winning against Nebraska. Then they they then go back on the road at the end of October, and I believe they will suffer a third loss out of four games when they lose to Wisconsin. They get a bye week before they get things right, and I believe they finish the season on a four-game winning streak against Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. I believe Purdue this season goes 9-3, and 6-3 in the Big Ten. That is the preview for the Purdue Boilermakers. Make sure you stay tuned to the OHIO podcast as we continue our two-a-day previews of the Big Ten as we prepare for the 2022 season. All right, Eric. Well, thank you for that preview. Uh, as you said, Purdue definitely has a great quarterback who led an explosive offense last season. And despite the new receivers, I think they're a great offense against this year. I think the defense is improving somewhat. There are still some questions, but I like the experience of the returners. I like the four-star defensive lineman that came in who could make an immediate impact, if nothing else, in providing some depth and keeping that front fresh. Uh, so... What is our over-under on them uh, for this season, Eric? Seven. I'll tell you what, Eric. I think they beat it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what else. I think Ohio State sees them in Indianapolis. Ooh, Nelly. So let me tell you how it breaks down. Okay. I like them to beat Penn State week one in the upset. I do too, yep. I like them to beat Indiana State. Syracuse, FAU, and I think they sneak out a win in Minneapolis. Mm. I do think they lose to Maryland. I think that they go in and they beat Nebraska. I think they lose again in Madison. But I also think that they finish out the season with four consecutive wins over Iowa Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. So it's the only game we disagree on is at Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Now here can now we haven't previewed Minnesota yet, and I don't want to spoil that one, but let me give and you the good. Re- they yeah, are let me good, give Eric. you the reason why I think Minnesota wins this game and possibly wins the Big Ten West. Nobody in the Big Ten has as many fourth fifth or super six-year seniors on their roster as Minnesota does. They are the most um, elderly team as far as this experience and I, and mature team as what the, the word I should say, not elderly, but mature. I think that is going to go a really, really long way in a division that is really up for grabs. You have to throw this out there to argue that point though, Eric. Sure. 
Illinois had 37 seniors and super seniors last year. Which is how they won as many games as they did, in all honesty, in my opinion, which is why I think Illinois takes a step back this okay. year. Okay, fair enough. I think but- there, there are people out there who are saying Wisconsin's going to win it. There are people who think Iowa can go back. You just mentioned Purdue, which is a hot take as well. And Minnesota is the fourth. And, hey, there's people literally saying Nebraska could sneak up and win this division this year. You, you and, know, and I've mentioned it myself in, in our Nebraska preview. I think that they stay in the hunt. Yes. And, and you can't count out the fact that Patty Fitz and Northwestern seem to go every other year somehow. Right? You know what? He broke my heart, Eric. He broke my heart. He, he's lost my trust. Yeah, he, yeah, I, I broke up with him a year ago. So, anywho, it, this thing is up for grabs. Right now, I haven't worked it all out yet, but I think I'm leaning Minnesota, which is why I have Purdue losing on the road to them right now, which would give Purdue 6-3. and three. I, I don't think 6-3 and three is good enough to win the West. I think you're going to have to get seven wins. Seven and two is probably good enough in the West to get you to Indy. I think that's what Iowa was last year, if I'm not mistaken, was seven and two. I think it does. I think I think that can happen again here. Seven and two can probably get you to Indy to get throttled by Ohio State, in my opinion. But there are there's some interesting things that are working out in this schedule as as we do these previews and we work our way through them. And this is to kind of give you guys just a little bit of a preview. One of the big three, talking about Ohio State, Michigan, and, and Penn State, one of the big three I take I think has a really bad year. I won't tell you which one yet. And here's for this one. I think Maryland surprises everybody and will compete for the East up until the last couple weeks of the season. I'll, I'll tell you what, Eric. I'm going to I'm going to surprise you a little bit here. I think Maryland finishes second in the East. Ooh. Now, I'm not going that far because I think the Mitten Kittens have the easiest schedule in the entire Big 10 outside of coming to Columbus. And they have the worst coach in the Big 10. This is true. This is absolutely true. That is a, that is a good point. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed these previews. We will continue these next week with two more Big Ten teams. We're going to do this all the way up until the season starts, in which we will preview. I'll have our big Ohio State preview the weekend before the Buckeyes take on the Fighting Irish to open the 2022 season. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio with all your heart. And until, until next time, OH! Ohio. Go Bucks. Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through Amaterain. While our hearts rebounding thrill. And joy which death alone can still. Summer's heat, oh, winter's cold. The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friend
friendship. Oh.